here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of all of us, welcome to America's favorite answer and question game, Jeopardy. You know how we play it. We provide the categories and the answers, and it's then up to our contestants to give us the right questions. Players, When Alex Trebek first became the host of Jeopardy in 1984, the show was still finding its groove and working out some kinks. You might remember from before, one of the things Jeopardy hadn't fully figured out was how contestants would ring in to answer clues. In that very first season, it was like the Wild West. Contestants could buzz in whenever they wanted, even before Alex had finished reading a clue. Last season, you'll recall that our players could ring in whenever an answer appeared on the board. National landmarks for 200, please. The answer is, she came from France to harbor America's freedom, Lois. His price was 30 pieces of silver, Greg. This year, they can ring in only when the answer has been read, and that will be indicated on our board by this white perimeter light. You folks at home... To recap, contestants had to watch and wait for that white perimeter light. That told them when Alex had finished reading the clue, and then they could buzz in. This change was pretty monumental. It meant audiences could now play along from home because they'd have a fair shake, too. And when it came to the actual game, it would entirely evolve the way contestants played and launch a new generation of buzzer strategists. The thing about the buzzer, as well-informed viewers probably know, is you can't just press the button when you know it. I practiced buzzing at home, but obviously on the stage is a completely different animal. I'd just always been practicing at home with a thumb, so I wasn't going to switch it up in the studio. As someone who's played a bit of Jeopardy, I can tell you, yes, it's about what you know. But it's also a lot about buzzing in to answer a clue at the exact right moment. The buzzer, or signaling device as it's officially called, it can make you or it can break you. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from something else, Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy! the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, we take you 360 degrees around the famed signaling device. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. The Jeopardy buzzer is a, a tube. It's a metal or a plastic, hard plastic tube that's about eight inches long. And on top of it is a, a button you press down. If there's one person who knows how the Jeopardy buzzer works... It's this guy. My name is Fritz Holtznagel, and uh, I guess you could say that I am the current accepted authority on buzzing in uh, the United States. 
In contestant circles, Fritz is the buzzer guru. He's the Obi-Wan of the signaling device. He's even written a whole book about it called Secrets of the Buzzer. Here's the first paragraph. The buzzer is your friend. It is not a venomous rattlesnake, a downed power line, or a horrifying object cursed by the ghosts of Howard Carter, King Tut, and 1922. Many people who try out for Jeopardy or play in quiz bowls have heard otherwise. They've heard that the buzzer is a secret key to the game, which is true, and that it is unknowable, inscrutable, or malignant, which is not true. The buzzer is, in fact, your all-access pass to the Coachella of Quizdom. The rest of the book gets a lot more technical, but Fritz maintains that gentle encouragement throughout. Fritz is a freelance writer. He works mostly with corporate clients, and he lives in Somerville, Massachusetts. Being around Fritz is kind of like being around a beloved coach, not the kind that tells you to buck up and play through the pain. He's like Ted Lasso. He reminds you that buzzer timing is an art, and that art takes time to perfect. When I watch the show, I still see people who are kind of flailing around with the buzzer, and that still, to me, is kind of the biggest mistake. Just like sometimes you see people make crazy bets in Final Jeopardy, and, you know, things happen. You get on the show, things happen. But I definitely can notice when people are kind of waving the buzzer around that usually it's just not really that effective a way of buzz. You really do feel like he wants you to get better at Jeopardy. You've probably seen contestants holding the buzzer on stage. Like Fritz said, it's a plastic tube that's about eight inches long. On the top is a button, and that button is connected to a wire that feeds down into the lectern. In the simplest terms, you want to push that button at exactly the right time. If you buzz in too soon, you're punished by being locked out for a quarter of a second. So the other people have a chance to ring in while you can't. If you buzz in too late, someone else will beat you to it. It's not a game of speed exactly, but one of accuracy. I recommend six things for maximum speed. And they are move less, win more. I recommend you use two hands rather than one. Use your thumb rather than your fingers. Keep your thumb joint as much at 90 degrees as you can so that you don't lose time moving that joint when you're ready to buzz. The fifth is pull, don't push. And then the sixth is be sure you look directly at the signal light when it comes on. There's something that you can't see at home, which is there's a light that goes on next to the board and that light tells the contestants, okay, you can ring in now. In other words, buzzing is all about reaction time. It's a race. You might be thinking, what, reaction times? I thought Jeopardy was for nerds. This, this is jock stuff. Makes about as much sense as having college linebackers recite Shakespeare to see who wins the football game. Fritz self-published his book in 2015. He sold around 50 copies in the first three years of its publication. But word spread, and it's become the buzzer Bible for Jeopardy hopefuls. He now sells hundreds of copies a year, and the second edition even features a foreword by super champ James Holzhauer. Fritz knows his stuff. He's played a lot of Jeopardy, too. This is Jeopardy! Entering the studio are today's contestants, a software writer, originally from Forest Grove, Oregon, Ryan Holznagel. 
and import-export agent... Almost 30 years ago, Fritz was going by the name Ryan. Back then, he was far from the Jeopardy champion and buzzer expert he is today. He was just as fallible as the rest of us. In 1993, he was a baby-faced young man making his very first appearance on the show. I have a real strong sense memory of when we left the green room for the first time and walked around the corner. You go down this little corridor that's draped with black velvet, and then you pop out, and there's the Jeopardy set. He still remembers that feeling of getting ready to walk on stage for the first time. The stage director, he gave me a shove in, the, <laughs> in my back to, like, say, you know, get on out there, get on stage, you know, don't, don't stroll out, race out there. And despite the nerves, he did extremely well. This bear that lives in frigid regions is also called the ice bear. Ryan. What is the polar bear? Right. May have all that jazz for 100, please. When I was on the first time, I really wasn't thinking about the buzzer. This current Tonight Show bandleader appeared in the documentary Bring On the Night with Sting. Ryan? Who's Marsalis? Ranford Marsalis is right. It turned out that I was pretty good on the buzzer uh, just naturally. Fritz aced that game and became a five-game champ. Remember, that was before the five-game limit was lifted. The year after, he won the Tournament of Champions. And 20 years after his very first appearance, Jeopardy! invited him back again in 2014. We are going to be bringing back the best players from the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s to compete in a special competition we're calling the Battle of the Decades. Decades. Believe me, it's the, it's the, it's the turducken, turducken, turducken of tournaments. Wow, turducken, that was a moment, huh? Well, this time around, Fritz was feeling older, not necessarily wiser, though. I knew that I wasn't going to be any smarter than any of those people. In, f- in fact, I figured I was probably going to be quite dumber than some of them in the areas of pop culture. I hadn't been paying attention to pop music. I wasn't watching television very much. And it's a big handicap. He tried to figure out how he could up his game. I started reading about reaction times and how you can improve reaction times. Fritz developed a daily routine to train for Battle of the Decades. He'd get up in the morning, go to his study, rig up a practice buzzer, plug it into his computer, and start ringing in. Over the course of the next four months, I actually did about 25,000 practice buzzes. I tried with my right thumb and my left thumb. I tried with index finger. I tried it with my pinky. I tried it with all 10 fingers, actually, just in case one of them turned out to be super fast. I tried different holds of the buzzer, like I tried holding the buzzer along the length of my hand so that the the button ended at the tip of my index finger, sort of like pulling a trigger. I tried holding the buzzer high. I tried holding the buzzer behind my back. In the end, I discovered that buzzing with my right hand and my thumb was fastest for me. Remember Fritz's six tips for buzzing it faster? He didn't just pull those out of nowhere. He wrote them up after this intense period of exhaustive data collection. And by the way, Four months of buzzing led him to new conclusions as well. Fritz hasn't always gripped the buzzer the same way. In his first Jeopardy appearance, he held the buzzer behind his back. That worked out well for him, as we know, so he kept at it in the 1995 Tournament of Champions, which he also won. But when he geared up for Battle of the Decades, his many tests actually revealed something new. I found that I was about three one-thousandths of a second faster when I was holding the buzzer in front than I was when I had it behind my back. I don't know what the physiological thing is behind that, but once I discovered that, I switched. 
My whole thing was shaving thousandths of a second off of my time. Fritz was paying attention to incredibly small details. Fractions of seconds. It's super granular. But when you're facing a slew of super champs, a thousandth of a second can make all the difference. And then the big moment finally arrived. This is the Jeopardy! Battle of the Decade. Let's meet today's former champions from our second decade. As he'd predicted, Fritz was up against two extremely competent players, Dan Melia and Pam Mueller. By the way, Pam was really one of the ones to watch here. She had already competed in two Tournament of Champions and first appeared on the show when she won the Jeopardy! College Championship at the young age of 19. And Fritz, you get to select first. Let's do Broadway musicals by songs for 200, please. One. And what I did for love. Pam. What is a chorus line? That's it. At the end of the double Jeopardy round, Fritz was holding his own against the mighty Pam Mueller, trailing her by just over $4,000. But in final Jeopardy... As we come to Pam Mueller, who had 17000 and the lead, and she picked the wrong response, and it'll cost her nothing. So she will move on. Well done, young lady. Pam got Final Jeopardy wrong, but she had wagered zero dollars and kept her spot, edging out her competitors. For all of Fritz's prep on the buzzer, Final Jeopardy still got him in the end. And even though he didn't come out on top in Battle of the Decades, Fritz kept careful notes on his own performance. When I went back later and looked at um, how well I was doing, I got in about 60% of the time on the buzzer when I tried to get in, which is terrific. I just got beat by Pam Mueller because she knew more stuff than I did. So, salute. (laughs) A year after facing Pam Mueller, Fritz released Secrets of the Buzzer. Since then, contestants regularly write to him for help and advice. I get emails all the time from people who are going to be on the show asking if I have any questions, you know, asking questions that maybe I didn't cover in the book. Before I was on Jeopardy, I didn't reach out to Fritz directly. But after my initial appearance and before competing in the Tournament of Champions, I wanted to up my game too. So I bought one of his mock buzzers. I'm not the only Jeopardy contestant to attend the school of Holtznagel. James Holtzauer credits Fritz's book for helping him prepare for his own record-shattering run. We wanted to take a closer look at the curriculum. So after the break, Two new students enroll. Stay with us. To me, buzzer obsession really gets at what is so delightful about Jeopardy. Contestants put their whole selves into prepping for the game, and then it comes down to something as specific as the buzzer. This is what makes Jeopardy strategy unique. Or, you know, You might find it a little crazy that people dive so deep on this. But we are here making a podcast about Jeopardy, so obviously we love a deep dive. And of course, that meant inviting Fritz to the studio in person to meet with my two producers, Sylvie Lubau and Julia Doyle. As you can tell by now, Fritz has thought a lot about the buzzer, but we decided to hone in on one aspect of it, reaction time. My producers didn't worry about knowing the answers to the clues. They just concentrated on the buzzer, the physicality of the signaling device. 
My wife likes to cue it up the night before, so the machine is all ready. The oh, coffee's in nice. there, the water, everything. On a crisp November afternoon, Fritz There's came down to the Sony studios with his laptop and buzzer in tow. Just, it's a ritual. It was the same mock buzzer he had used to train for Battle of the Decades. Back in the day, he had a friend make one for him. Ahead of time, Fritz asked my producer Julia to make a sacrifice. Abstain from caffeine just for the day. I usually drink the equivalent of four, like, 12-ounce cups of coffee by this point. I haven't had any. I feel terrible. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a ruse. During his training, Fritz studied the effects of caffeine on reaction times. So that first test with Julia was caffeine-free. Does it make you smarter, too? Will I be able to answer the questions now? Like, before I didn't know the date, and now I'll know the date after drinking coffee. <laughs> it depends on how much coffee you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me do a little scene setting. Picture this. Julia's standing up, holding the mock buzzer that's wired to Fritz's laptop. On the laptop screen is a very simple website. Fritz and that same friend built the website, and Fritz recorded himself reading about 80 prompts. Jeopardy insists on calling this the signaling device. They never call it the buzzer. Signaling device. It's the signaling device. I call it the buzzer. (laughs) Okay, so I'll click this once. It'll play the question. And then as soon as that turns white on the screen, I'll click it again. That's right. Okay. A sonnet has this many lines. That's one of Fritz's recorded prompts playing from the computer. Oh my. <laughs> That's a little slow. Julia's buzzing in at every prompt, but at first, she's shocked by how fast she has to go to get in. Now you see the trauma of being on Jeopardy. A lot of people say, oh, I got up there and froze up. Or so. See, the trauma is real. Let me just pop in here for a second and say, for the record, that my producers are extremely hardworking, very smart, and they are very capable people. But anyone doing this for the first time, it's, it's just not easy. This is good. So we can see here that your average speed was 282 milliseconds. Uh, it throws out, like the ones where you missed it, it throws out the high and the low scores. So you're at 282. Go ahead and have a little coffee. We'll wait uh, five or 10 minutes for it to take effect. And then we'll do the whole thing again and we'll see if you uh, improve. Julia was the guinea pig for caffeine and its effects on reaction time. But she was quickly joined by Sylvie, who was already very caffeinated. I have had exactly one cup of coffee today, and uh, yeah, I'm going to test my reaction time. Okay. He was the first president of Mexico. Ooh, that was slower, 216. See, but that's very average. That's not bad at all. Okay. This is the color of a classic London cab. You're having the real Jeopardy experience here. Sylvie was coming in early, but once she switched hands... Whoa, that was fast. That was very fast, yeah. But I'm a righty. I'm a righty. It's the least popular state in the USA. 34, you're killing it. You are killing it. Who knew? I'm a lefty on the buzzer or the signaling device. Wow, to be able to both buzz quickly and have the answer, in, or the question rather, in your brain, it is very hard. That is really hard. Because my mind went blank exactly as yours did. Yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling too. Before I went on Jeopardy, I had done Quiz Bowl in high school. But Quiz Bowl has nothing to do with reaction times. You can answer whenever you want. You do not have to worry about timing. I have a whole new appreciation for the contestants. Thanks, Sylvie. Shout out to all my fellow contestants who make it look so easy. 
Typical. I'm so average. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> you're, sp- you're amazing. But average is a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> is it about that time for... I think so. How much coffee have you um, consumed? Well, this was a very large cup of coffee, and I've had probably half of it. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> okay. She's really slugging it. I yeah. It's probably been eight or nine minutes, would you say? I think so, yeah. All right. So I'm going to set this up now, and um, I will put this as uh, Julia after coffee as the tag before we had Julie before coffee and you were at 282 milliseconds. Althea Gibson was a star in which sport? 216. It's the final event in the decathlon. 236. Great. Uh, after coffee, you were at 226.0 milliseconds. And before coffee, you were at 282. So you are actually almost 51 thousandths of a second faster, five one hundredths of a second faster. That's very fast. That's a lot. What do you know? Coffee really does the trick. Since this was just a test, we didn't expect any prizes, but my man Fritz came prepared. So here's what you've won. It is a 25-year-old coupon for a free package of Pillsbury Crescent Rolls, which... I won when I was on uh, Jeopardy the first time around. After your last show, they gave me a bunch of parting gifts, as they used to do on game shows in those days. Did you did you cash in? on I, I ate all the crescent rolls I could <laughs> <laughs> before before December of '97, but I still had some left over. I still had some coupons left over. Even with a world of buzzer knowledge at one's disposal. It is an entirely different story when you show up to the Jeopardy stage and actually play the game. And there's one thing, or rather one person, we haven't really talked about yet. After the break, we'll pull back the curtain on the human being behind the machine. Stick around. There's someone I haven't mentioned until now a person who's central to understanding how the buzzer works, a person cloaked in mystery, especially among Jeopardy! contestants. In alumni circles, no one really knows much or even who he is. I'm talking about the Jeopardy! staffer who runs the whole buzzer mechanism from a desk offstage. His official title is The Enabler. Contestants wouldn't be able to buzz in without the enabler. Remember the white perimeter lights that flash on around the Jeopardy board? Those come on because the enabler presses a button, and that's what allows contestants to ring in. Over the years, different folks have done the job of the enabler, and like any job, some like it more than others. I don't miss it. (laughs) That's game material manager Ryan Haas. These days, Ryan sits in the writer's library managing gargantuan databases of game material. But he used to enable the buzzer back when Alex Trebek was hosting the show. For someone that plays guitar, I have no rhythm. And Alex would throw me off because he was Canadian. So instead of saying 1823, he'd say 1823. By then, I'd already enabled it. <laughs> Ryan enabled for five years until a different colleague took over in 2017. I am the 
senior researcher uh, of Jeopardy. Meet Michael Harris, the enabler. Also the gameplay analyst and the title of The Enabler, which is, um, I guess, what we'll be discussing a lot today. Before the break, Fritz taught us how caffeine speeds up reaction times. And that made us wonder, what does the guy on the other side of the buzzer drink to keep alert? You know, like some people, caffeine totally like perks them up or whatever. I don't, I've never felt that with caffeine. Maybe for a job that most people would think is incredibly stressful, you actually have to be relaxed. Maybe you have to be somebody who doesn't average eight espresso shots a day like I do. So actually, instead of coffee, the enabler likes to gear up for tape days with seltzer? Sparkling water. When you're up on stage with the lights on, you can't really see Michael Harris. He sits next to the judges off stage, and he's very low-key. But right in front of him, on his desk... It's very simple. It's a little square black box. It has two, basically, toggle switches. One says enable, and it's blue with a little green light. And one says clear, and it's um, black with a little red light. So when I hit enable, the little green light comes on. There are blue lights on either side of the game board, which is what the contestants are looking for, for them to know that they're able to ring in. Hear that little tapping noise? That's Michael pressing the enable button, an all-important sound that normally gets drowned out by Daily Doubles and the Jeopardy theme song. The thing is, for all the mystique built up around the enabler, Michael Harris is a, a pretty regular guy. I don't know if you want to say like the fourth man, since there's three players. <laughs> like I'm the fourth man. It, you know, if I, I don't want to slow up the game in any way, I don't want to disrupt the game. My whole thing is to be as engaged and as um, focused on the gameplay so that Ken reads the clues the way he should. I enable the answer, I enable, they get it wrong, I enable, but to keep that flow going and so that the contestants, if they're getting in a rhythm, can stay in the rhythm or do whatever. But I don't want to be the, the thing that slows it up. For all that the contestants agonize and obsess over the buzzer, the enabler keeps a pretty cool head as the person on the other side of the proverbial wall. There's no magic or hocus-pocus involved in it. I think perhaps what it is they find maybe is um, they'll be on a streak and then suddenly they didn't get in. And they might get in the next clue afterwards, but then someone else might have a streak and they're probably like, what did I do to lose that mojo for that moment? The combination of practicing a lot but not getting too rigid in your strategy is really what's necessary to make a great buzzer. That's Matt Amodio. He first appeared on Jeopardy! in 2021, and he ended up winning an astonishing 38 games. Only in the last year have there been uh, public data on how many times each contestant presses their buzzer. It's true, Jeopardy! has only recently begun releasing stats on buzzer speed and accuracy. And when it comes to champions who have truly conquered buzzerdom, Matt is high up on that list. Going on the show, I knew that the buzzer was going to be a problem that I needed to solve. For Matt, 
That meant thinking about the person on the other side of the buzzer. Okay, Michael, can I, can I say his name? Yeah, the guy's not Voldemort. During Matt's run, he says he became aware of Michael's existence because, well, it was clear there was a human being enabling. You can definitely tell that there is maybe a faster day where the buzzer opens up sooner with respect to the last word than others. And then on some days where where it's really almost exactly as the last words being finished, that it opens up. And I don't know if that's because Michael had an extra cup of coffee, maybe a poor night's sleep. Again, what we're talking about concerns milliseconds, probably differences that are so extremely small, they'd be missed by most. If we were to clone Michael and put one of him in charge of uh, opening up the lights and another of him as a contestant, I I don't think he would do any better than any of us because uh, there's only just a certain amount of uh, synchronicity that a human being can have at that level of precision. If I were a machine, it might be a different thing. Michael Harris, human man. We're all human, right? So... Perhaps maybe Matt is more tuned to knowing, oh, Michael's rhythm is different today than it was yesterday, or it's different this show than it was this morning. And I may not be even aware of that because it's, you know, it's just me and he's perceiving how he's getting the other end. So it could be happening. I just can't, I just don't know for, for sure. What came first, the chicken or the egg? I actually feel a lot of times that maybe my pacing ends up kind of syncing up with how they're driving the show. You know, Matt taking maybe a little bit slower in responding and then calling, or James going super fast with response and selection where it just starts to become this, like, train. And I'm basically almost in a way kind of keeping up with because it just moves so much faster maybe it's the strange symbiosis that happens especially maybe for the super champs because they do ring in on average more times than the other contestants so i guess the longer we're together there can be a kind of symbiosis that happens and they may not even realize it perhaps we're both kind of this feedback loop of, I'm ringing in, Michael's going to ring in now, Michael's going to open up, I'm ringing in now, you know, that kind of thing. But first, a word of caution. If you come in thinking too much about me and trying to get into my head before you even play, then you might not even find your own rhythm. You know in A Midsummer Night's Dream when Demetrius is in love with Helena, but she doesn't think about him at all because she's in love with Lysander, and he doesn't think about her at all because he's in love with Hermia. It's this circle of one-way attention that keeps leading to another person and another and another. Well, the enabler doesn't think all that much about the contestants, even if some of them, maybe a lot of them, are thinking about him. In a somewhat Shakespearean twist, the enabler is thinking about yet another person the host, and specifically the host's last syllable, the one that comes at the end of the clue. Still, to this day, I'm, I'm like, do I wait till it, that last syllable rings out? 
do I last when it gets to the very close end of that syllable? Um, because it's all sound. In the 1960s, Stephen Hawking was diagnosed with a disease named for this famous athlete. So it's like, do I wait till that like million dollars or do I hit it at er or do I hit s? You know, so there's probably fractions of a second of when I'm going to open up the buzzers. And with Alex, if it finished in a blank, sometimes he'd say blank. Sometimes he'd say nothing. Duma Musketeer, who got his own fragrance in 1964. So it'd be da 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 blank. But it could also be da 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 and I know the blanks there, so now I have to hit it because he didn't say blank. So that's going to be a slight change in timing too. Whereas if I were a machine, maybe it would be scheduled to hit it, you know, like a metronome every time. At the end of the day, one thing is clear. If you don't know the trivia, you're going to be in trouble the second you step onto stage 10. Jeopardy is, at its core, a game of knowledge first. But we were a little bit curious. If you had to put it into numbers, what percentage of the game is straight up buzzer? Fritz Holtznagel, buzzer guru. I'm gonna assign it 33%. And that's because if everyone was able to buzz in equally randomly, everyone would get in 33% of the time. Each of the three contestants would get in one in three times. Michael Harris, the enabler. It's probably maybe 40% buzzer, 60% knowledge. If you've made it to the podiums here on the show to be a contestant, chances are your depth of knowledge is pretty vast um, and pretty solid. Matamodio, super champ. From my experience, 90-10 sounds about right, that uh, 90% of the game is knowing the, the trivia. Those are all pretty different percentages from three people who have all spent a lot of time thinking about buzzing in on Jeopardy. So what do we do with that? Maybe a better way to think about it is to stop thinking so much about it. The bottom line message about buzzing is the same way it's always been about everything with Jeopardy, which is this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to be on the show, go in there and have fun and do your best. That's the secret for success for most people who've done well on the show and probably can be your secret for success too. To this day, the buzzer guru has never met the enabler. Jeopardy keeps a tight lid on staff members getting friendly with contestants. But if Fritz Holtznagel could say one thing to Michael Harris. I would say, uh, job well done. <laughs> And uh, I would love to come and sit and watch you work sometime. Next time on This Is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. I was driving home from work and Whitney Houston was playing on the radio. And I happened to be stopped right by an ad for Apollo 13. And I looked at it and I thought, Whitney Houston, we have a problem. And so I wrote that as a before and after clue. This is Jeopardy! The story of America's favorite quiz show is a production of Something Else, Sony Music Entertainment, and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Mia Warren. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. A 
Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Sasanya Davenport, Tamika Balance-Kalazny, and Ike Egbatola. Our theme music was composed by Hannes Brown. Our engineer is Cedric Wilson. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.